High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. And welcome to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 High FM. I'm Rabbi Ari Kiban. Great to be with you here today. And so today, my friends, we're going to continue our discussion about Shabbos, how to make Shabbos most meaningful in our homes. And let us continue from where we left off. We were talking about candlelighting. And now let's talk about you came home from shul. That's if you go to shul. Obviously, many people aren't able to make it to shul these days, which is totally understandable if you can't go to shul. Let's talk about you come home. And we sing Shalom Aleichem. We welcome the ministering angels. We also talk about how angels, to me, very realistically, is my beautiful children, my family, who we don't get to spend as much time with during the week. And now we sing Eishet Chayel. Eishet Chayel, beautiful song, which is composed by King Solomon. And this song, we greet Shabbos. We sing, it's firstly welcoming the Shabbos queen, right? That's... One aspect of Eishet Chayel. But another aspect of Eishet Chayel is to give, sing an ode, recognition to the women of, the, of our lives and make sure that they are recognized and appreciated for all the good that they do. And now let us talk a little bit about the next step, Kiddush. You know, when Ilan Ramon, the first Israeli astronaut, to go up in space. I mean, I don't know if he was the first Israeli astronaut, but certainly the first one to go to, to go up in space. When he prepared to board the Columbia Space Shuttle in 2003, and I remember that day like yesterday, I was a student here in the yeshiva, and we were all watching it uh, very much gripped and glued to the story, and unfortunately to the outcome of that story where he, we know what the ending was. But let's go back a moment. You know, before he went into outer space, he recorded the words of Kiddush in his diary so that he could recite it in outer space on Friday night. Tragically, you know, the space shuttle exploded when it re-entered Earth's atmosphere and the entire crew of astronauts perished. But what's most incredible is that most of his diary survived the explosion. Despite, you can imagine, the temperatures, the, the fire, the, you know, the 37 mile plunge to earth, the impact, and all the wet weather and uh, the, the fire extinguishing methods that they used. And the page which he wrote, the text of Kiddush, was found utterly unscathed. Interesting, eh? So, what is this with Kiddush? Why are we reciting Kiddush? What is it about? And let's talk about, first of all, we know we discussed last week in greater detail about the obligations of Shabbos. We're told Zachar. We have to remember the day of Shabbos. And there's two meanings about of the word Zohar, actually. One is to remember, okay? The second one is to mention. Zohar is Yom HaShabbos Lekacher. Remember the day of Shabbos to sanctify. What does that mean? That we're obligated, as the Talmud tells us, to verbally proclaim and sanctify Shabbos, which is obviously what we do when we recite Kiddush at the outset of our Shabbos meal. Now, Kiddush 
you could obviously find it inside your Siddur. The core of Kiddush is a verbal proclamation. Our sages enacted that, that it, we recited over a cup of wine to underscore the significance of Kiddush. In many cultures, wine is an important drink. It provides an atmosphere of prominence, of celebration, of jubilation. And we use wine for many momentous occasions in our lives. Right? If you could drink wine or grape juice, then you should use that for Kiddush. Of course, if one is diabetic or for whatever reason is allergic to wine or grape juice, then you could actually make Kiddush on challah, which we'll get to in a moment. But just to understand it a little bit deeper, you know, under the influence of wine, people are freer with information. And the Talmud points out that we could see this in the numerical value in the gematria of the Hebrew words for wine. What's the Hebrew word for wine? Yayim. And the Hebrew word for secret is sod. Both have a numerical value of 70. So symbolically, it's connecting the idea of wine to the world of secrets. Kiddush is all about revealing a deeper and concealed truth. So the way Kiddush is all about revealing that truth of Shabbos. That the world is in perfect harmony with its creator. A whole week, it's Bereshit Bara Elohim, the name of God of concealment in this world. But comes Shabbos, Shabbos as we described, is a day of revelation. So when Shabbos comes, we're revealing God's identity, revealing God's presence in the world. And we see this in the very first words of Kiddush that start off with the acronym Yom Hashishi Vayichudu HaShamayim. You have those letters Yud and Hey and Vav and Hey, which is the name of God as revealed in the world. So the basics of Kiddush, what to do, how to do it. First of all, you want to fill up your cup. And ideally we say kosi revoya. You want the cup to be overflowing with the blessings. So if you can't drink too much wine, better to have a smaller cup then. Your chalas should be covered, which we discussed previously, the purpose of which not to embarrass the bread, which obviously emphasizes the idea of being sensitive to the feelings of others. Not The bread doesn't have the emotions and feelings. Okay, now you fill up the cup to the brim and we ideally stand. So rise up, stand for Kiddush. And obviously one of the reasons why we're going to stand is because when you are offering testimony, a witness comes to the stand. You stand. So at least in Jewish law, witnesses are required to stand when giving testimony. And when we are reciting Kiddush, we are thereby testifying to God's creating the world in six days and resting on Shabbos the seventh. Now, you should hold the Kiddush cup in your right hand, your or your dominant hand rather. For me, it's the right hand. That's why I say so. And we glance at the Shabbos candles as we, at least for part of the Kiddush, so at least before you begin the Kiddush, look at your Shabbos candles. 
And then, we go, and also before you say the bracha, and you're supposed to drink, when you're drinking your Kiddush, drink most of the cup. Okay? Look at the wine, obviously, when you're saying the bracha, because you're making a bracha on the wine. And when you conclude the Kiddush, everyone who is not making their own Kiddush is going to answer Amen. Amen is an endorsement of the bracha. And that's Kiddush. You make sure to drink the wine. Everyone, you know, we pre-COVID days, we'd pass the wine around. But today that's not so practical or not advisable. Not, even having guests is not advisable. We are not out of the woods yet with this whole corona business. And until that treatment's found, until there is some kind of a vaccine, don't risk it. Really, I've, I've heard of scares. I was with somebody just a few days ago. Well, I was not with him just a few days ago. I was with him last week, Sunday. So let's call that, what, 10 days ago? And he just told me yesterday that he has got the symptoms now. And he had to inform me. And, you know, thank God I don't have symptoms, but I have a newborn baby. We don't want to be, God forbid, exposing our children. We don't want to be hurting anybody. And we have to take every single precaution necessary. And boy, am I glad, by the way, this individual, all anonymity will be preserved, so don't worry. But he wasn't wearing his mask properly. And I had the chutzpah, I mustered the courage to say to him, please wear that mask properly. I have a newborn baby at home and I do not want to be, God forbid, causing any, you know, medical challenges to a newborn child. So we, we, we really still have to be as careful as possible. I thought that by now, I mean, who thought that it's going to be this late in and we're still going to be where we are now. But we are not out of the woods. We are still, and thank God here in South Africa, it's much better than other parts of the world. Let's keep it better this way. So we talked about Kiddush. One of the questions that came through us, why is Yom HaShishi the sixth day included in the Kiddush? You would think Yom HaShishi is only relevant to Friday. Now we're Friday night, we're ready into Shabbos. And you could say there are various aspects, various answers, but one of them I would say is because the human being, us, we're, we were created on Yom HaShishi, on the sixth day. And although God created the universe as we discussed, nature appears independent from God. And therefore, God is concealed. The human being was created on the sixth day. So it's our task to bring God into the open, to reveal God's presence in the world. So as I said, Yom HaShish when you use, the, when you take those four words, you have the acronym of God's name of revelation. It's our task to be the ones to reveal God's presence in the world. So that's just another little, I guess, insight of why we include the word Yom HaShishi to remind us that it is us. We're indispensable. Every single human being. And when we still sit here with the election, you know, totally not yet counted, not yet finalized. I mean, it's, it's pretty clear unless there's some miracle for Trump and we're not going to talk politics here. But I do remember the election in 2020, sorry, in 2000, 20 years ago, when back then it was declared first that Al Gore won 
And only later was it realized that Bush was the winner. That's the time when Joe Lieberman, who whose wife reminded him, don't worry, in this house you'll always be the vice president. Back then, it was also a contentious election. And it took, if I recall correctly, a couple of weeks till we got the final results. But I believe that there were some previous cases as well. But certainly reminds us, and we see this clearly in a democracy where every vote, every person's vote and opinion counts. And one can even contest it and ask for a recount to be sure. But to me, the message and lesson is how every single vote counts. Every single one of us is created in the divine image. We are all indispensable to God's plan. And we have to remember very clearly and very importantly, over and over again do we see this, how each one individual makes that difference. Every person could say, ah, I don't need to vote, doesn't make a difference. It does make a difference, and we see this very clearly. We could apply this to all aspects and areas of our lives as well, that every single vote, every single one of us, counts and makes a difference. So when we say the words of Kiddush and we realize the gift of Shabbos in our lives and we realize we include the word Yom HaShishi to remind us the importance of man that God created us and every single one of us makes our important difference as each one of us does. And we'll be right back in just a moment. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Hi FM. And so now let us continue. We spoke about Kiddush. Let's move on to talk about the next step of our Friday night meal, which is challah, right? Right after Kiddush, Jewish law says that Kiddush is not valid unless it is immediately followed by a meal. So in order for Kiddush to actually be um, qualified, it has to be take place with a meal. That's why in Shul, we always have at least some mazanas, some cakes, some biscuits, something to accompany the Kiddush, and at home as well. And there's an important message here. Kiddush is a spiritual endeavor, and we need to make sure that it influences our regular life, the way we eat, the way we conduct ourselves. So sanctity and transcendence are not valuable if they don't inform and influence our regular life. We could talk from today to tomorrow. We could be all about uh, spiritual discussions. But unless it has an impact on ourselves, on our life, on the difference we make, then if it doesn't impact and make a difference in our lives, then it's not real, it's not sincere, it's not genuine. And that's why Kiddush has to be followed by an actual meal. So, Kiddush, we have our meal, we eat, we eat bread, challah, right? Because bread is the food by which Jewish law distinguishes between a snack and a meal. That's why if we make Kiddush in Shul Friday night, that's not enough. Because actually, I retract what I said a second ago. When you just have a mazonas, a piece of cake, that's not a meal. That's why if you heard Kiddush and Shul, it's not enough. You have to go home and make Kiddush again. A real meal requires bread. So, why practically two loaves of bread? <laughs> what? Why, why two? Reminds me of, of Abe. 
Abe goes to a restaurant every day for lunch. And he always orders the soup du jour. You know what the soup du jour? He once came into the restaurant and asked, what's your soup du jour? They say, it's bean soup. He says, well, what is it now? Well, one day the manager asks him, no, how do you like the meal? And Abe responds as he usually does, was good. But could you give a little more bread? Okay, the next day the manager tells the waitress, Abe is a good customer, he comes every day. Make sure to give him four slices of bread. No, how was your meal today, sir? The manager asks him. Was good. But could you give a little more bread? Okay. The next day the manager tells the waitress, give him eight slices of bread. How was your meal today? They ask him. Was good. But could you give a little more bread? So the manager realizes, Abe, he's a good client. He comes in every day, but he's always asking for more bread. So he tells the bakery to make this really nice, long, six-foot French loaf. And when Abe comes in, as usual, the next day, they bring the loaf, they bring it to him, they put butter inside, you know, make it really nice and, and tempting and tasty, maybe some garlic, and they serve it to him with this bowl of soup. He's got there the two halves of this big French bread. And so now... The manager thinks that Abe's obviously going to be very grateful for this gesture. They ask him, no, how was your meal today, Abe? And Abe looks, he says, it was good. But I see you back to only giving two slices of bread. You know, I used to go to a restaurant in New York. It was called Provi Provi. It was a really nice Italian restaurant. Go there with friends. And... Proby, Proby, that was the beauty. They had these delicious French breads they would give us and these individualized pizzas. But the breads with all the sides was enough to enjoy and, and be satiated. So the two breads, the two loaves of challah that we eat on Friday night reminds us, firstly, about the double portion of man that God provided. When the Jewish people were in the desert, we know that how are they sustained? It was man that rained down from heaven every day. But on Fridays was a double portion of man. Because that, because obviously on Shabbos the Torah instructs us that we're not allowed to collect. So on Friday we got a double portion for that day and for the next. And each Shabbos we commemorate the miracle of the man of God providing for us while we were in the desert by serving two loaves of bread at our Shabbos meal. And obviously corresponding to the Friday double portion of manna. But this is also one of the reasons for the custom that we cover the challah during Kiddush. Not just the reason I explained earlier about not embarrassing it, but the man would fall between two layers of dew. One above it and one beneath it. Right? That would keep it fresh and clean. So when we cover our challah, we have a tablecloth beneath it, at least. You know, personally, we have a nice challah board. It makes it easier to cut, so you're not cutting through your tablecloth. And on top, we have a beautiful decorative challah cover. So it reminds us of the way that God, the caring way, the sensitivity with which God delivered the mantas that is the, that's what kept it fresh. Some say that's also the minhag of why people eat kugel on Shabbos. The Ramah, Ramah Isilis of the, call him the co-editor of the Shulchan Aruch. He writes about a minhag 
to to eat pashtida. It's some kind of a dish like kugel. It was actually it consisted of meat stuffed into dough. That's what it was. And so that was similar to man. Again, the idea is that the meat was covered on both sides. It's like pierogin. Maybe that's why some people eat pierogin on Shabbos. Okay? Some people uh, turned that pashtira, maybe they couldn't afford meat, so that's why they turned it into a kugel. And today you got lots of different kugels with meat, without meat. And, uh, you know, some say that that symbolizes the idea that, you know, like the kugel has a little bit of a hardened crust on top and on bottom that protects the soft center inside. So it also reminds us of the caring, sensitive way in which we received the mana from heaven. And perhaps that's also a reminder to us about not just what we give, but how we give. The care and sensitivity that we give to others. You know, I'm reminded, and with that thought about my mother of blessed memory, when we were sitting Shiva morning for my mother, whose yard site's coming up in just over a month, and I remember how the male person, and not just the male person, we had a fundraiser from a big yeshiva who used to visit our house every year and pay the special Shiva visit. Now usually these fundraisers go to the big donors. Why is the fundraiser coming to our house? Or the African-American male lady Rosa, very nice male uh, delivery person, by the way, I must comment, why she came in. And it was very simple what they both said, common denominator, that the male person reminded us how my mother during the cold winter days would invite her inside just for a moment to warm up. You know, just imagine they're walking, delivering the mail to everyone. New York winter, very, very cold. Come warm up, give her a glass of, of hot tea. To the, in the cold, in the, in the hot summer day, same thing. My mother would say, come inside, cool off in the air conditioning. Here's an ice lolly. Here's a, here's a, a cold can of soda. And the fundraiser said something very similar. And I remember it even as a child. My mother would give him $5, $10, whatever she could afford to give him. It wasn't big. It wasn't hundreds of dollars. But what he said to us was the way she gave it. It was always very warm. And I think that we're not always necessarily in a position to be as generous as we'd like to be. These are tough times financially. But the way we give, the cure, the sensitivity, that is very important. And something to to think about our charity, the way it's done is so important as well. And so we talk here that's one of the reasons why we cover the bread, to remind us of that sensitivity with which God provided us our manna in heaven. Now, there's another reason why we cover the bread, and that is according to halacha, which we discussed before, when you have bread and wine, it's just a reminder that always bread comes first, except for Shabbos when we're making Kiddush. Again, that's saving it the shame and Again, the sensitivity, the cure that we have for others. Now, obviously, Chala doesn't have feelings, and it's just a reminder to us how we have to be sensitive and caring for others as well. Now, let's go back to the first reason we said a moment ago about covering the Chala, which is also why we have two loves, the double portion of mana. Why is it so important for us to recall the miracle of the man, specifically on Shabbos? Now, think about it. After all, the man nourished the Jewish people during all seven days of the week. 
So they didn't collect on Shabbos. They got a double portion on Friday. But we got manna every day of the week. But here and again is an important message and lesson. And that is the story of the man reminds us that just as God sustained us with man in the desert, where there was no other source of food, so does our modern day sustenance come from God. We work hard, obviously, we, we, we have to work hard to achieve our financial success. And just as then the Jews couldn't wait for their tents, you know, they were waiting inside their tents for their food, but had to do something to fetch it. They had to go outside the tent. We act, we initiate, we plan, we do whatever it takes to earn a living. But ultimately, we realize it is the blessing of Hashem that brings us our richness. Birchas Hashem itash. That's the verse in Mishlei, in Proverbs by King Solomon. And it was this very act that we had to rely on God. With the man, we realized it. It was clear to the Jews that yes, you're going outside to collect, but that was only the second half of the story. They realized that God is providing for them. And that's why it didn't even last to the next day. You couldn't put it away in your refrigerator or whatever means of refrigeration they may have had back then. If you put it away, what happened to the man? It would go fraught. It would rot, it would decay. Because God wanted them to realize their dependence on Hashem. Yes, we have to go outside. Yes, we have to use whatever channels it takes for us to earn a living. But that's all like going outside to collect the man. The primary factor is God's blessing. So that's obviously a message relevant to every day of the week. But it's so much more important on Shabbos when we're abstaining from work. And many people find it challenging. And rather than dreading our day of abstention for the financial loss, thinking about, oh, I'm not going to work. Who knows how bad that's going to be on my cash flow. And, and oh my goodness, how am I going to pay my bills this month? It's a genuine concern that people have. And that's why some people do go to work on Shabbos. And it's very challenging. And I can remind you a story I told you a while ago about the Rebbe's father, who was the chief rabbi of Ukraine for 30, I think from 1908 to 1939. And he would open his shul early on Shabbos morning. He would have an early Shabbos morning minion to accommodate those who had to go to work on Shabbos, those who were afraid of the Soviet government, of the communist rules. It's not that he condoned them working on Shabbos, but he understood that for some people... They just can't, that's their challenge, that's their difficulty, that's their struggle. So it's not for us to judge, it's an interesting balance that we have. On the one hand, we're not going to judge anyone else, but ourselves, and encourage others and encourage ourselves too, to realize that God, God Almighty is the ultimate provider, and that no harm will come to us from observing Shabbos, and that's why we have to do all in our ability to keep Shabbos. And again, the man is a reminder of that. So make sure that you got your challahs. Go out today. Buy the challah or bake your challah. And make sure you have your two. Now it's very important that it has to be two whole, complete loaves of challah. It cannot just be a, a slice of bread. It has to be complete. You can use matzah too. 
You could use pita. You could use lava. But it has to be complete, not not um, sliced. Now, two of them, like we said, to remind us of the double portion of man, we cover the challah loaves until after Kiddush is recited. Whether you have a beautiful challah cover or you're just using a little cloth, it does the job. Now, you have to make sure you unveil the challah loaves only after Kiddush. So it's there. It's present during Kiddush, but you only cover it after Kiddush. Which demonstrates that the challah, as well as our entire meal, are in honor of Shabbos, whose presence and holiness we are acknowledging when we recite Kiddush. It's only after Kiddush, before we eat the challah, we're going to go wash our hands. If you're going to make your Kiddush on the challah, then what you do is you keep the challah covered, you're going to make the bracha, you're going to wash, and then you're going to say Kiddush on the challah itself. But for the rest of us, for most people who are going to say Kiddush first, then you're going to wash your hands, keep quiet after washing your hands. I know it's very challenging for some of us, but it's an exercise in self-restraint and control. And what we do is we actually lightly score the top of the challah with a knife where we're going to cut, indicating where we're going to cut. And only then do we cut the challah. Now on the one hand, we like to cut the bread before saying the bracha, right? So that we don't make any interruption between the bracha and the eating. On the other hand, we cannot cut the bread before the blessing because we want to make a bracha on two complete loaves of challah. So that's why we score the bread before the bracha. Because then practically and mentally, we're reducing that separation between the bracha and the actual eating. And that's an interesting insight mentioned in Shulchan Arach. So score that challah. Say the bracha. And then actually slice your challah. And dip a piece of the challah into salt. And the reason for that we can discuss in more detail perhaps next week. Why dipping it into salt? But the basics of it is because every single sacrifice in the temple was accompanied by salt, and so we want our table to remind ourselves of the altar, the Mizbeach, in the temple. And after you take a piece for yourself, because you don't want to have any interruption, make sure to shear slices for everyone else present, and you don't have to actually use both chalas, you can only use one if you want, and save one for tomorrow, especially if you're being careful with your carb consumption. And that's all about challah for now. We'll be right back to talk about the Shabbos meal in just a moment. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Back to soul to soul right here, 101.9 Chai FM. And now we're going to continue and discuss the actual Shabbos meal. Because we know that the key to the Shabbos meal is to eat the foods that are pleasurable. We call that Oneg Shabbos. Now, historically, we Jews have regarded fish and meat as a as foods that are pleasurable. Call it oneg, right? Historically, Jews of fish and meat are important parts of the pleasurable meal that we want to enjoy. Which is why these are the foods that are mentioned in the Code of Jewish Law in Shulchan Aruch 
as important to eat on Shabbos. Eating these foods are time-honored customs which actually have tremendous symbolism and significance. So in the absence of whatever circumstances that prevent one from eating fish or meat, well, let's say you're a vegetarian, then you're not going to eat meat, or a pescatarian, okay, or whatever it is, and if it doesn't bring you pleasure, don't eat it. These foods are mentioned because they do bring most people pleasure, but obviously, again, if it doesn't bring you pleasure, you do not eat these foods. So let's talk a little bit about some of the deeper symbolisms of eating fish on Shabbos. Because the fish's eyes forever remain open, so too, on the divine day of Shabbos, we are reminded of God's constant providence, that God is always aware, that God is always here. You know that song from Avram Fried? And don't you know you're never alone, never alone. Doesn't matter where you are. There's nothing in his eyes more special than you. Wherever you go, Hashem is with you. So remember that. And that's one of the symbolisms of fish. The fish eyes never shut. And we remind ourselves by eating fish on Shabbos of God's constant providence in the world. Also, the fact that fish is a fitting dish for Shabbos, we see in the numerical value for the word for fish. What's the Hebrew word for fish? Dag. What's the numerical value? Dalid, gimel. Dalid is four, gimel is three, equals seven. So that's an appropriate food for the seventh day of week of the week, Shabbos Kodesh. Now, in order for meat to be edible, we know that a trained shochet has to slaughter the animal in the prescribed manner as it is described in halacha. And meat has to be soaked and salted to remove the blood that we are forbidden to consume. So all of this reminds us that we have to be so careful with, with meat. You know, you can't mix meat with milk. You actually can't even mix with Fish, but that's a separate matter, which we're told is a health hazard. But milk and meat is part of the basics of Jewish law. Not to cook a kid in its mother's milk. So we realize that although it is possible to prepare kosher meat, there are many possibilities for error, for transgression. In fact, we're told a shochet is one who has to be God-fearing. A person who fears God. My great-grandfather, his name was Rabbi Shmuel Yitzchak Reitzes, he was a shochet, and he was informed, he was instructed by the Rebbe Rashab, the fifth Rebbe, back in Russia, who actually told him to be a shochet. And my great-grandfather was afraid. He said to the Rebbe, I'm afraid that I'm not God-fearing enough. You know what the Rebbe said to him? Who then do you think should be a shochet? One who thinks they are God-fearing enough. So there's a lot that qualifies, that one has to be qualified for in order to be a ritual slaughterer. And we know that there's a lot of laws and regulations involved in the preparation of kosher meat. We're not even going to discuss the price of kosher meat because of that. So we know that meat, and obviously poultry as well, 
it symbolizes a state where it's possible to transgress because good and evil vie for supremacy. Look at all the symbolism and Jewish mysticism. In fact, this week's Torah portion, we have more about that because we can look at what did Avraham serve his guest who he didn't know were angels. He served them meat. What does it say? He served them the most delectable cuts of meat, tongue. But first he gave them chema v'chalav, gave them uh, cappuccino, cheese. And not only them did he give them the meat. And some say it sounds like he served them a cheeseburger. But we know that many years later, the Medrash tells us that Avraham, that, sorry, the Moshe, when he was coming to collect the Torah at Mount Sinai, and he went up to heaven, and the angels asked the question of God, they said, What is this human being, Homo sapien, doing amongst us? And God says he's coming to collect the Torah. The angels protested. They said, This hidden treasure, the Torah, that's up in the heavenly realm all this time, you're going to give it to a human being who will sin, who will violate and transgress its commandments. And so... God tells Moshe, you be a good lawyer. Answer the question yourself. Defend yourself. Well, Moshe says to the angels, you're accusing us of sinning. First of all, let me ask you. Torah says, honor your father and mother. Do you angels have parents to honor? Torah says, don't steal. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Are any of these laws relevant to angels? Besides the point, if you're accusing us of sinning, let me ask you, when you came to Avraham, did you guys not consume milk and meat together? Anyways, the Medrash goes into complicated law in Halacha, which is the, the basic premise is Tata Gavar, the bottom dominates, which means Moshe prevailed over the angels, Tata Gavar, the law is that the Torah comes down here. But in Kashrut, the law is a little bit more interesting because in Kashrut, the law is that if you have milk and meat, they get mixed together. We know you have to have 60 times one over the other in order for it not to become a prohibited mixture. How do you determine if it's cooked together? If the bottom is hot. Bottom's hot. Then Halacha determines that it's cooked together. The bottom one is not hot. So say milk fall, cheese falls into a hot pot of chicken soup. Well, that's considered cooked together. If it falls into a cold pot of chicken soup, it's not considered cooked together. We still don't consume it. We still don't eat it. It's still complicated within Halacha. Although if it's 60 times one over the other, then it would become permitted. So the point is that Moshe says to the angels, if you believe that that the Torah should stay in heaven, remember one more point about milk and meat. Milk symbolizes kindness. Mother's mammary glands keep on, they don't get depleted because a mother, both human and animal, are there to serve their children. Milk symbolizes the concept of flowing, the serenity of the whiteness. 
Whereas meat is red, it's rough and tough. That's givura. That's severity and discipline. And although there's a place for both in general, there's a place for milk, there's a place for meat. There's a place for sensitivity, caring, loving kindness, chesed. And there's a place for givura, for meat, for being rough and difficult and disciplined. But we don't mix them. We have to know that ila, that tata gama. If you consume milk, you don't have to wait for meat. Because the milk, the kindness came in first and it will dominate over the meat. Whereas if you consume the meat first, we don't want the givura to be dominant over the chesed. We don't want that the meat which is consumed first, the meat symbolizing gavura, that severity and discipline, to overpower the loving kindness. So there you got a little bit of mysticism about the milk and meat mixture related to this week's portion. But now let's go to fish. Fish does not require any of these concerns. You could have your bagel with lox and cream cheese. You can mix it with the milk. There's no concerns about how to slaughter a fish. Obviously, there are laws about procuring kosher fish. And fish, obviously, a kosher fish is the only one that has spins and scales. And that itself has lots of symbolism. But we don't have all the complex laws in, with fish as we have with meat. So the fish represents a state where spiritual failure is impossible. With meat, there's a lot of complications if it qualifies as kosher. And so the fish, in a sense, invokes the spirit of Shabbos. Because of the transcendent holiness of Shabbos and its godly consciousness, we automatically rise above the realm of possible sin and evil that the meat, the gevura, symbolizes. Shabbos is truly a different kettle of fish. And so the, the custom is that on Shabbos, we eat fish, and in fact, a common type of fish, not my favorite, by the way, I have a little bit of Sephardic genes in me, is a gefilte fish. And gefilte fish, where did it come from? I mean, there's a lot of discussion about gefilte fish, and it's fascinating to read its history. But I'll share with you a few interesting ideas about gefilte fish, and particularly why people eat it on Shabbos. Because by mixing fish with, this is something my mother told me, when they mixed it, you know, they took a cheaper fish, and in the States they use carp, I think here we use sole. You know, so you took a cheaper type of a fish, and they ground it, to mix it with other ingredients, you know, maybe with, um, with, with, I don't know, my mother made gefilte fish at home. I wish I could recall her recipe, because it was the most delicious gefilte fish that my mother would make. But whatever you mix it with, <laughs> Those ingredients were usually cheaper. And I, I don't know if today we're doing it necessarily to be cheaper. I think the idea is, you know, it's nice and tasty. It became a, a nice Jewish tradition. So this is the way poorer Jewish people were able to afford fish on Shabbos. Now, the Shabbos laws we know specify, and we're going to talk about this, please God, next week in greater detail, the various laws, and one of them is called Borer. And that is how you select one thing from another, one food from another. You're not allowed to separate uh, inedible food from edible food. So if you're going to have fish, and the fish is going to have bones and skin and parts of it that you're not going to want to eat, halachically speaking, you're not allowed to separate the bad from the good, only the good from the bad. 
So you have to understand and know the process about how to do it. You can't take the bones from the fish, rather you have to take the edible fish from the bones. So by having a filter fish, which was boneless, it avoided the problem of having to separate one thing from another. You don't have to separate skin, you don't have to separate bones. And there's another aspect which is placing the stuffing in the innards of the fish, as some people like it, symbolizes the needs for us to internalize the sacred spirit of Shabbos. So there's much symbolism to fish and Shabbos and eating the symbolic dishes. Of course, we have to have Divrei Torah and no doubt the booklets we send you could give you lots of inspirational thoughts and insights. And as well, you could go onto our website and print out before Shabbos or read the email I send out. There's so much inspiration that's available. So make sure your table's filled with Torah thoughts. We make sure at our house, and I'm sure any family that's got young children, that each of the kids shares at Vark Torah, something they learn in school during the week. IFM, 101.9 megahertz of life. And sing inspiring melodies, and it gives us the opportunity to reflect on God's manifest presence in our lives and enables us to dwell on the holiness of the day of Shabbos in a realistic way. So after you conclude the meal, make sure to bench and be a mensch. And please God, next week we're going to go more into the details of the laws of Shabbos. And maybe we'll go a little bit into the Shabbos day customs. Friday night, by the way, after our meal is done, I try to sit down and learn the portion, the parsha of the week. Very practical for me as a rabbi to prepare the laning, but I think it's relevant to anyone. Or get yourself a nice shluff, because we know one of the acronyms of Shabbos is Shin Beis Taf, which is Shona B'Shabbos, which means to learn on Shabbos, Tainog is a delight. You could also say Shena B'Shabbos, sleeping on Shabbos is Tainog, is a delight as well. I guess there's no sleep like the Shabbos sleep. Some people like to get a full bagel of sleep on Shabbos from Friday night to Shabbos morning. If they get to bed early, the bagel is 12 hours like the challah is whole, like the, like the bagel is round and whole. Not something practical for many of us. But let's conclude today by saying, you know, Shabbos is a day that is imbued with spiritual significance. And we discussed in Hashem Yisera with the extra soul that graces us. And we learned about the objective of Kiddush and the deeper symbolism of the many Shabbos rituals that we perform. And you might think that the entire religious experience of Shabbos should be spiritual, right? And we only eat because, well, you know, why do you eat? Because you have to live, no? (laughs) But that's not the case very clearly. Shabbos' intent was not just for the soul, for the neshama to experience Shabbos. And if that were the only motive, the soul would have remained in heaven, where experiences, the experience of Shabbos would be more powerful, basking in the spiritual heavenly light. But God's intent is for the body to experience Shabbos. So that's why there's part of the day that's dedicated to prayer and study, and this time of the day that's dedicated to eating and sleeping, and drinking, don't forget, okay? But it's not enough. The body has to experience Shabbos. And that's why we talk about all the pleasurable experience that the body should have on Shabbos. 
the foods we eat on Shabbos, the songs we sing, and make it lavish. On Shabbos, you want to have the most, the best you can have. Take out your most beautiful, decorative glassware, crystal, china, you name it. The best food you can eat. That's why we're commanded to eat on Shabbos. And why even the most refined and elevated spiritual people eat and enjoy the food of Shabbos. It allows every Shabbos to affect a profound sublimation of our body. And thank you all for joining us today here on Soul to Soul 101.9 Chai FM. Have a wonderful day and a great, magnificent Shabbos.